Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. How many of you guys just love that game and our team? And you'll never know what you're going to get here at Freedom Church. I'm, I'm just excited that God is doing some amazing things here at Freedom Church. Pastor Michael and his team are killing it this week. I want you to pray for them because 54 of people from Freedom Church, students and leaders are going to youth camp. And let's pray that God changes and transforms their lives. It was at a youth camp. That my barber invited to me that God changed my life. And uh, man, uh, man, it's going to be an amazing time. And I'm praying for life change happen down there. How many of you guys walked in? You guys saw some of the new signage up there here at Freedom Church. It looks awesome, right? See them on the front. And you see them in the new And we're also getting a, everything permitted for finally to get a sign up there. That's been taking a while. But because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity, we're able to do those things. Some students can go to camp that could never go to camp. But what I'm really excited about, check this out. In the last month, we were able to send a team down to an orphanage and we were able to help them with some well water. Not only that, we were able to renovate a room from the Teen Challenge girls' homes. Actually, somebody, uh, as you're giving, we were able to get some extra money that came in this week. And I called Pastor Roger and Pastor Roger said, you know what, I was just praying. We just started painting and the money hadn't come in. And because of this, we can finish it off. He operated by faith and we were part of a miracle. We were able to help somebody with some rent assistance and help an elderly widow. Let me just tell you this. In the middle of a recession and all that's going on, we were able to give above and beyond $20,000 to missions globally and work just past month. In one month. Just one month. That's awesome. And that is not considering all the missions that we support monthly. Boom, mic drop. I'm so excited for what God is doing. One of the things that God told me is that God's going to bless this house so that we can be a blessing to the nations. And when you give, I'm just telling you, when you give, you're not just giving to this house. Those things are happening in this house. Things are happening in the community. And I want to thank you. In the middle of a recession, God is moving. And that gets me excited that we're part of a life-giving church. So what happens here on Sundays doesn't stay here on Sundays is all I got to say. How many, let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you guys have ever taken a selfie? Raise your hand if you've ever taken a selfie. Okay, if you've ever taken a selfie, I want you to take out your cell phone right now, and I want you to put it on selfie mode, and I want you to take a selfie with the person next to you. I don't know if you don't know them, who cares? It's even more awkward if you don't know them. Just take a, take a selfie, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to hashtag Freedom Church and say, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong or whatever. No, don't say that. Say whatever you want to say, and just man, post it on Facebook, post it on Instagram, tell somebody, check in on Facebook, and tell me here at Freedom Church. Everybody take a selfie. You know what? I was a, as I was preparing this message, that selfies are a rather new phenomenon. Studies have shown this, that 93 million selfies are taken every day. And there's an art to taking that perfect selfie. There's even a website called selfies.com where it will help you master the art of taking a selfie. If you're a guy, one of the top things you're flexing to take a selfie, that right pose Young ladies, this is what ladies do when they take a selfie or young girls. They, they, they do this. They, they put their hand on their hip and then they got this duck face. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen this? It's like this duck face thing. Like, what's up with a duck face? Or, or, or they even do this. Like, I don't, I don't know. They, I mean, the young ladies do all kinds of weird things when it comes to, to selfies. You want to take a wild guess how many selfies are taken 
every day. I told you 93 million, right? And they estimate that one out of every three pictures on your cell phone, one out is a selfie. And this blows my way, mind. If you were born after 1990, if you're a millennial or Gen Z, you will take 25,700 selfies in a lifetime. And this is a mind-blowing stat right here. Females ages 16 to 25, check this out, will spend five hours a week taking selfies or looking at selfies of themselves. Five hours a week. Some of you guys that are parents of teenage girls, you're like, man, I think that's a little low, right? (laughs) But did you know that taking selfies can be dangerous? Last year, there were more deaths by selfie than there were shark deaths and shark attacks. People want that perfect picture so they get too close to the edge or too close to the action. BBC reported that from 2012 to 2018, there are 259 deaths by selfie. I wonder if Discovery Channel is going to have, instead of Shark Week, death by selfie. Selfie week. That'd be kind of cool, right? Like, I didn't grow up taking selfies. Raise your hand if you didn't grow up taking selfies. You remember those days? Like, for us, taking a picture was actually one of the worst days in grade school. Remember? How many of y'all remember school pictures? It's the only day I would bring a comb to school because there was pressure with that picture. Your picture for your school was going to be forever defined seventh grade year. And you didn't have a whole bunch of pictures to kind of like go off, so you only had one chance, and you didn't want to be captured in this dorky pose. And here's the thing about it. How many of you guys remember those picture packages? And they were so expensive. I never bought one of those picture packages. And so what I did, you had to wait. Here's the crazy thing. You had to wait till the seventh grade yearbook to see how your seventh grade year was defined by that picture. Man, I grew up with selfies, and I remember going to beauty, without selfies and going to beautiful places and mountains and waterfalls and an ocean, and you would actually just stare at it and take it in. Yeah, this, this actually used to happen. Nowadays, the first thing that goes through our mind in a stunning sight is I should, take, I should take a picture of me. We live in a generation that they feel like they have to be the center of every picture. We're so consumed with ourselves. But did you know, man, this is a mind-blowing thought. There is this thing on your phone. And you could take your phone off selfie mode. All you got to do is you got to click the button and you will no longer see yourself. And this morning, as we continue our series in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us to take our lives off selfie mode and put it on something far greater than ourselves. He's going to have us staring at Jesus and the gospel. And Paul is going to tell us that Jesus is the only one worthy of our full attention. And I know it's counterintuitive. He's going to say this, that the best thing you can do for yourself is get over yourself. Look what he says. Read it with me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being the full of cord in one mind. And here's the point of what he's making. Here's what he's going to say. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, underline that, or conceit, but in humility, underline that word, count others more significant than yourselves. The King James translates the word conceit here more accurately when it uses the word vainglory. The Greek word used for this is the word kainodoxia. Kano means useless. Doxia means glory. 
And Paul is saying this, that the frustration that we feel in our lives comes from the pursuit of selfish desires and useless glory. But what does that mean? What does glory mean? Glory means weight. See, we all want to have weight in our lives. We all heard, heard that saying, somebody comes in, they carry a lot of weight. What does that mean? That what they say important, is important, what they say matters. It goes according to what they say. Another word for glory, uh, according to the translation in the Greek text, is heavy, significance, matter. Here's the reality. We all want to be significant. We all want to matter. We all want our lives to have glory. That's why we take selfies in front of famous places. Man, we want to be identified with the importance of that place. And we say, since I'm here, I matter just like this place matters. The reason that selfies and Instagram and Facebook and all these social media sites are so important because it, it feeds into our, our, our pursuit for canodoxia, for vain glory. We want to know that we matter. We post a picture and we look for people to like it and validation because we want some way, somehow, it's deep inside of us. We want to matter. And the more likes we get, the more people that recognize us, we want to know that we matter and that we're important. And the lack of joy and the lack of frustration that you're facing right now in life, it comes from this. You're looking for significance and meaning in your selfish desires and in your pursuits. And here's what Paul says, that you need something bigger than yourself. You need something bigger than this world. You need something bigger than your bank account and your business and your career. You need a glory that goes beyond this world. You need to live for the glory of God. Several years ago, I watched a fascinating interview on 60 Minutes with the late Steve Jobs. Steve is the man most responsible for the selfie, ironically, with the invention of the iPhone. And he said this, that throughout his life, he believed on and off in God. He said that as he approached death, he started to believe more and more in God, primarily because he really wanted to be there to be a God. And let me read to you what he said in that interview. Quote, because if there's no God, there's no afterlife. You die and that's it. And he says, and nothing you did matters. Nothing you did has glory to it. Nothing you did has significance to it. Nothing you did in life has weight to that. So I want there to be God, a God because I want life to go on. See, here's something amazing. Not even one of our generation's most successful thinkers, innovators, and businessmen can find lasting significance in this world. He couldn't find glory in this world. And Paul is telling us here, he says the significance we're looking for can only be found in Jesus and his purposes. And when we serve others. But when we live the selfie mode life, it's going to lead to a lack of joy. It's going to lead to frustration. It's going to lead to this gnawing feeling that there's got to be more to life than this. This is where many people live. This is where the majority of our culture lives. See, the self-emote life is full of pride and selfishness. Here's the problem. We're all born selfish. Every one of us, from the time that we're born. Those of you that are parents, you know this. Some of the first words you ever teach, you don't even have to teach them. What's the first word they say? Mine! Don't take it from it's mine. They start crying. Like before they say thank you or Jesus, they're saying mine. Let me prove to you that we're selfish. Here we go. If 
I said, one of you has a huge, big, gross green booger on your nose, you're not going to be checking your neighbor's nose. You're going to be looking at your nose. Here's the thing. Pride produces selfishness. And selfishness puts us at the center of everything. Just think about what made the devil the devil. Pride. His proud heart wanted to be worshipped just like God. He wanted to distinguish himself. He wanted to be more important. He wanted to be the center of worship. Isaiah 14, 13 tells us his thoughts. He said this, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne. I will sit in throne. I will rise to the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. See how many times I is there? It could actually be said that it's the devil who took the first selfie. And you might say you're most like the devil when we are full of pride and selfish ambition. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, said this, pride is the mother that is pregnant with all other sin. See, every sin comes from pride. Adultery happens because somebody says in the relationship, I want to be happy. Stealing takes place because I want what you have. We lie because I want to control the narrative. We don't pray because I can handle life on my own. Pride sings the mantra of hell. It's the old Frank Sinatra song, I will do it my way. And as I studied for this message, I was reminded just how much pride is in my life. It's pervasive. How many of you guys would say you struggle with pride too? It shows up in every area of life. And here's the thing about pride. Pride is so hard to detect in our own lives. It's like carbon monoxide. It's invisible to us. Other sins, they're easy to see. Nobody, when they're committing adultery, says, oh my God, I didn't know you were my wife. Sorry. And we know. But pride, we can't see it. This week, I read an interesting study in Health Magazine by the University of California, Riverside. It was evaluating study students about what they thought about themselves in contrast to what students who knew them thought about them worlds apart. In the study, students gave themselves high ratings on cheerfulness, warmth, and intelligence, while observers who saw them saw that they were hostile, deceitful, and condescending. And what got my attention was the title of the article. It says, studies say jerks have too much self-esteem. If we can have my volunteer come up today, here's what I want to let you know. Pride and selfishness are like a blindfold that you're blind to it. Thank you, Zach, for coming up here and being this illustration. So, man, here's what pride is going to do. The crazy thing about pride, just, just stand up, man. We need somebody good looking just to stand up here and get everything rolling right there. Can you see? Can you see? Okay. All right. Okay. We're good. Right there. Can you see? Yeah, okay, okay. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> See, the great thing about pride is it, it blinds you to how, all the blessings, all the great things that are happening in your life. You just can't see it because you're so focused on you. And this, this is what happens with pride. Man, you're so frustrated. You're so consumed about life and you're so mad oh, about my, my life. My wife won't do this and I, my needs aren't getting met and I need this and my job is frustrated and I want this and, and, and I missed out on college and I missed out on that opportunity and I couldn't go there and all these things. And it's I, 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 I. And what you're blinded to is the fact that your husband is faithful, follows Jesus, serves God, your wife has been there for you, a great mother, a great father. And what happens is when you're so consumed with yourself, you can't see all the blessings in life, and you're so frustrated because all you do is see yourself. 
And so many times when you're blinded with pride, what happens is you can be involved in, in a great church and God can be doing amazing things and, and, and blessings and giving them properties and restoring. But you're like, oh, I, I think the music is too loud. I don't like this. I don't like what they're doing with that. Uh, man, I'm not sure about this. And you just get so frustrated. I'm not getting because you're so blinded. And so many times, many of us live like this. We're blinded by pride. And what Paul is saying is saying this, take the blindfold off. Thank you, Zach. And you'll be able to see, and you'll be able to see the blessings and the purposes that God has for you because pride blinds you. And he says we're to take our lives off selfie mode. And I love how Paul responds. How do we deal with this issue of pride and selfishness? This is amazing. He points us to the cross. Paul doesn't correct behavior by telling us what to do, but instead he reminds us of what Jesus has done for you. Check this out. He points to the gospel, verse 5. He says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what Paul is saying, he said, quit living for useless glory. Quit living for yourself and realize if Jesus, the only one who deserves glory, gave up his glory for you and he died on the cross for you, you matter. He said, quit looking for significance in a person. Quit looking for significance in yourself. Quit looking for significance in this world and realize that you're significant to the one that matters. And when you have come to that understanding, your life will be free and you're free to pursue everything that God has for you because you have significance from the creator of the universe and Paul says the cure for selfishness and pride is simply looking at the gospel and here in this passage Paul takes our eyes off ourselves and he puts it directly in the gospel and it's amazing that what Jesus did Think about the life of Jesus. He forsook all the things we spend our whole lives seeking. He lived an opposite of that. But if we reverse this passage and if we wrote Benito's life story or your life story, it would say this. Though Benito was not God, though you were not God, you thought equality with God was something to strive for. So we wanted to make the rules. We wanted it to be all about us. We wanted others to serve us. We wanted to spend our lives accumulating stuff and working towards our glory. Verses 5 through 11 are some of the most amazing pieces of theology in the entire Bible. Bible scholars call this the ekonosis passage. The word ekonosis in Greek literally means pouring out. We see God giving us the clearest picture of the gospel in the entire Bible where God poured himself out for us. And most Bible scholars say these verses were a hymn that the early church would sing. And it's a beautiful verse. Scholars aren't sure if the words originated with Paul or not, or if he's bringing up this hymn, but they point to the fact that the early Christians believed that Jesus wasn't just a prophet, he wasn't just a good man. They sang these songs about his deity and his lordship 
And all scholars believe universally that Philippians was written between 50 to 55 AD, which is just 20 years after the death of Christ, which debunks some erroneous false teachings in our culture that the Catholic Church 300 years later came up with this idea that Jesus was God and the people close to him didn't believe it. Well, guess what? Scripture shows us that people believed and thought and they taught that Jesus was God. And in verse 5, Paul tells us to flip our lives off soft selfie mode and put it on gospel mode. He says this, your attitude should be the same of that of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying if you want joy and significance, if you want glory, you need to ask yourself this question, what would Jesus do? I know it sounds cliche-ish, and I know there was a popular book about it, but this is a, this is a question straight out of Scripture. I heard a story of a mom cooking pancakes for her two boys. One was age five, his name was Kevin, the other was age four. Three, his name was Ryan. The boys immediately to start, started a fight to see who would get the first pancake. So the mom, being a godly lady, saw this as a teaching moment. She said, boys, what if Jesus was here right now? This is what he would say. I'm going to let my brother go first, and I can wait. The five-year-old boy, Kevin, turns to Ryan and says, you be Jesus, me first. <laughs> and that's the way a lot of us live our Christian faith, isn't it? The profound pas- this profound passage, Paul gives us the life of the humility of Jesus, and he puts it in sharp contrast with a selfie mode life. And this is what we're going to see. This is what he says. This is what we learn. The selfie mode life says, demand my rights. The gospel mode life says, take responsibility. Jesus, the God of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence. Angels have to cover their faces to see him. They can't stand his holiness, his power, his presence. That God, he gave it all up to become a human. He gave up his place. He gave up his rights so that we can be here this morning. So counterculture, so counterculture to our culture because right now, we have, it's my body, it's my choice, it's my property, it's my gun. It's mine, 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 mine. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, it ticks me off. How dare you get in my lane? How, you not th- how dare you not think of me? The other day I was in the store, and somebody cut me in line. How many guys get infuriated when somebody cuts you in the line? Like, man, I'm like, oh, i got to remember I'm a pastor. People always see me, but I was mad. They made me a whole two minutes late to where I was going. Can you believe that? See, I can't even give up my place in line or my spot on the road. We feel entitled and when we don't get it, we get mad. See, we live in an entitled culture. Probably the most entitled, Dr. Tim Elmore says, probably the most entitled culture in all of history. See, pride creates entitlement. Entitlement says, demand your rights. Entitlement says, two lies. You owe me, and I deserve it. Have you ever been to somebody who's entitled? It's embarrassing. They're talked down to people. They're demeaning. It's having lunch with Karen. And here's the reality. Entitled people are the most miserable people in the world. They're the most frustrated people. They lack joy. And you always hear them, how are you doing? I, I'm having a tough day. It's I, 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 me, me, me. Man, you talk to an entitled person, listen to them many times they say I or me. And entitlement will destroy your joy. But look at Jesus. Jesus didn't feel entitled to anything. He gave, he took full responsibility for, look what it says in verse 7, for he made himself nothing. 
taking the very nature of a servant. A servant was the one that was responsible for taking care of everything. They took care of the most menial task. This is mind-blowing. The God of heaven became a lowly servant in a world that is demanding. Everyone is demanding their rights. It's my right. I deserve. I deserve. We have a God who took responsibility for our sin. And instead of rights, he said, give me responsibility. Give me a towel. See, Christianity is about taking responsibility. It's taking responsibility for your sin. It's, it's not saying a culture that's full of blame shifting, a culture that's trying to blame everybody around us. It's not my fault. It's not my problem. Being a Christian says this. It's first. It's not blame shifting. It's not blaming your environment. It's not blaming your upbringing. It's not blaming your background. It says, you know what? I did it. I'm a sinner. I messed up. I did wrong. That's something the Christian is. And then when you take responsibility for your sin, like Jesus took responsibility for your sin, the next thing you do is you take responsibility for others. You take responsibility for the things of God. You take responsibility for the widow, for the orphan, for the needy, for the broken. See, being a Christian is not about rights. It's about taking responsibility and saying, God, you've given me influence. You've given me power. You've given me your spirit. And Lord, unless I take that responsibility, I'm not living out the gospel. So the selfie mode life says this, live for myself. The gospel mode life says, look to meet the needs of others. See, let me tell you this. God didn't save you for you. He saved you to save somebody else. He didn't heal you for you. He healed you to display his glory to others. He hasn't just blessed you for you. He blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. It's not about you. It's about him. And some of you are struggling in your marriage. You're struggling with the way your life has turned out. You're struggling with everything. Let me tell you the very center of your struggle. I, 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 I wanted this. I wanted this to happen. It didn't take place. Me, me, me. But if you would just take the selfie mode and say, God, it's not about me. It's about he. Let's get a better picture in my screen. It changes everything. God is calling you to live for something bigger than you. Let me tell you, you're just not that cool. Jesus loves you, but you need to live for something bigger than you. And he says it's for his glory. It's for serving others. Look at verse 4. Look, look, look what Paul says in verse 4. Not only look for your own interests. Yeah, we got to take care of ourselves, but also to the interest of others. The word look in the Greek means to this, to intentionally to spy, to plot. We are to intentionally look out for ways to serve others in our community. This is the way of humility. C.S. Lewis says this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. What if we all came to church and we just didn't think about ourselves? What if we thought about others? What if we said, man, I wonder if there's somebody that I can encourage. I wonder, like, man, this, today, I walked into service and I was a little bit heavy. I was going through some struggles. My grandma passed away yesterday and I was thinking how that changed my life and how difficult that is. And I love my grandma and she's awesome and she's with Jesus, but I just... Just sometimes you have Sundays that you don't really feel like being here. Today's one of those Sundays. Can I tell you? 
As I started walking around and I started hearing the needs of people and I started seeing these things and I said, oh man, I've had a tough day. I realized, man, this isn't just about what I'm feeling. Man, sometimes God allows things to happen in your life so you can minister better to people, so you can identify with the pain, so you can identify with the struggle. And before, as I begin to walk around, talk to people, hear some stories, I realized this. This isn't about me. And one of the reasons I'm so frustrated is because I'm thinking about why my life isn't going the way I want it to go. But if I would think about others and I would think about Jesus, it would change the way that I live and so many of you I'm just going to be honest with you as your pastor can I pastor you you are miserable right now because you think too much about yourself but what if what if every Sunday a church would come in and say I'm not going to think about others I'm going to look, I'm going to spy for ways I can be a blessing to people. What if 50 people would come in and say, man, I know there's people hurting in this recession, but God's blessing me. What if we said, I'm going to give away 50 to $100 every week to somebody who needs a blessing. What a awesome would that be? What if another 50 people would come in and say, I know there's people going through challenges and struggles. I might not have been blessed financially in this season, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to see if I can pray for them, encourage them. I'm going to find a time just to be with them. What if another 50 people would come in and say, you know what, I have a gift of helps and services. What if I listen in the hallway and say, you know what, you need your car fixed, you need your lawn mowed, you're sick, how can I help you? How can I cook for a meal for you? How can I invite you in? Let me tell you, if we... Were a church like that, if everyone began to take the Jesus mode, there would not be a building, there would be not enough churches planted because God wants to say, this is my way of operation, thinking about others. Because when we forget about ourselves, we do things others remember. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition, conceit, but consider others more significant than yourself. So thankful for the elders of New Hope and Pastor Jason, because, you know, they just didn't think about New Hope. And they didn't think about what God could do about this building. They, one of the most incredible acts of humility, they said, you know, we serve, we follow God, we ran the race, but this is bigger than us. It's time for you. Time for Freedom Church. Let's join together. Let's run. And, and guess what? Because of that, they share in the glory a brand new a building being renovated, missions being given out, people getting saved, discipleship taking place, because it's not about you. The third thing about the gospel uh, life is this. The selfie mode life says, follow my passion. The gospel mode life says, pursue God's purpose. One of the biggest lies in culture is follow your passion, follow your heart. Do you. YOLO. The Bible says your heart is wicked and your passions will lead you astray. And let me tell you, God's purpose will often lead you in the opposite direction of what feels good. Ask Jesus. You think it felt good to be in the cross? But the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Let me tell you something. Sometimes when you follow your passions, you'll have good feelings for a moment. But when you follow your purpose, you'll have joy that lasts forever. Because the Bible says, for the joy before him, he endured the cross. And the path to joy is sometimes paved with challenges. Verse 8 says that Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And this is probably one of the biggest challenges in our culture today. People have a cafeteria spirituality. They pick and choose what they want to believe about the Bible and about God. Prideful people think their feelings, their thoughts, their ideas, their passions are the authority for life. Pride never wants to submit to a higher authority, the authority of the Word of God. People say, and I've heard it all the time as I talk to people. There's many things in the Bible I just can't accept. There's things that offend me. 
I just don't like this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the things of the Bible that I like, and I'm going to reject the things that I don't like, and I'm just going to have this cafeteria-style spirituality. Let me tell you, if you have a view like God, a view of God like that, if your God can never contradict you, if your God can never correct you, if your God can never change you, maybe you're not worshiping God. See, if your God never offends you, if your God never upsets you, you're not serving a living God. You have a God he created. Tim Keller says this, if your God never, never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And many people today are worshiping at the altar of me, myself, and I. But I'm here to tell you that you need to, wor- you need to worship something greater than you, that he is greater than me. And I love the way Paul closes this. He puts our focus on Jesus. Go back to verse 9. Therefore, the Bible says, God exalted him. That word in the Greek means hyper-exalted, as high as he can go. He exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Vladimir Putin's going to bow. Joe Biden will bow. Donald Trump will bow. Nero will bow. Every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word Lord there is karyo, supreme authority, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is worthy. Let me tell you, Jesus created all things, governs all things, can do all things. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He never grows weary. He never sleeps or slumbers. His greatness is is incalculable. His power and wisdom, unmeasurable. His plans, his thoughts, his ways, indefectible. His mercy, his grace, his love, inexhaustible. His patience, his faithfulness, his peace, unexplainable. He's indescribable, incomprehensible. And right now, I want you to close your eyes because the scene in heaven is angel upon angel. The glory of heaven are singing holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy are you. Let me tell you what's not happening in heaven. Nobody's grabbing their phone and taking a selfie of themselves. Everybody's attention is on Jesus. It's on Jesus. It's on Jesus. And when we put our attention on Jesus, it changes us to a life that God has for us. A life of purpose. Because here's the truth that pretty much Paul is saying. You can't be full of yourself and full of the Holy Spirit at the same time. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. You might hear, be here and say, like me. If you can't find any pride in your life right now, let me just say, you might be wearing a blindfold. Here's what I want you to say. Lord, show me how to deal with the pride. Lord, let me live the gospel life. And the biggest way to do that, Paul tells us in this text, is to look at Jesus. Look at his pre-existence. The ultimate uncreated creator of the universe. Look at his incarnation. Look how he lived. And look at his exaltation where he's at. That right now, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is exalted. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.